morning, Brookside. Good to see everybody. Happy Father's Day. And uh, yeah, just a privilege for us to be together this morning. Um, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. If you're a guest here with us, welcome. And I do just want to say, dads, um, we're thankful for you. I'm not only thankful for my own father today, um, but just for being able to journey with so many of you dads as you're pursuing the things of God and just really saying, Lord, I want my life to count. And uh, I pray that that you would humbly lead me. And so I just want to say that it's a privilege uh, to walk with, um, with many of you men in that way. So, um, so yeah, happy, happy Father's Day. Well, today we're going to um, continue on in our series and uh, the prophets, and uh, we're in the book of Ezekiel again this morning, our second week. And um, if you're flipping there in your Bible now, let me tell you how to get there if, if you're newer to the scriptures or you can go there on your app or whatever. But if you go to about the halfway point in your Bible and just keep going to the right, you'll come through the kind of those major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Then you'll get to a little bitty book called Lamentations, and then you're almost there to the, to the book of Ezekiel. Um, so that's where we're going to land this morning. And if you've been around Brookside for a while, um, Rob mentioned this, we're in the midst of a big challenge as a church, and we're actually just a few days away from um, being halfway through that challenge, and that's to read through the Bible in 2016 together as a church. And so by now, maybe you are full on, you're doing well with that, maybe you started strong and you're starting to drift a little bit off of that, or maybe you've kind of said, you know what, I'll pick it back up in 2017, you know? But regardless of that, I wanted to, to share um, this little story with you, and I just, I love the opportunity to be able to share things like this. I was having uh, lunch with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he said to me, he said, you know what, I've never read through the Bible cover to cover. He said, I know the stories, I've been in church a long time, I know the stories of the Bible, but I've never, like, taken that opportunity to daily open up God's word and have it speak to me. And I loved what he said. He said, I'm not understanding everything, which I think we can all relate to that, right? Uh, His honesty I loved. And then he said this, he said, but it has been so good for my life uh, to be in God's word. And I just wanted to say, church, um, that's why we're doing this. You know, that's why we encourage you, um, take 10, take 15, 20 minutes a day and just make that uh, just one of those things that you put in your day. Open up God's word um, and, uh, and really let him speak to you. But, but that's why we're doing it is because we long to be a church that we're hearing the whispers of God into our hearts. And God is really, uh, God is really leading us in that way. So I want to encourage you on that. Note too, I've had this question asked several times. Are there good ways just to listen to the Bible? And I want you to know there are plenty of options out there. If you're not a, a, a big reader, there are ways that you can daily just get into God's word and, um, and, and, and even just listen to it. So um, uh, please do check that out. If you go on our website and click on the 365 button, you'll be able to find out our reading plan. And the reason I mention that is because the things that we're reading during the week, we then teach on those uh, on Sunday mornings or we teach on the text that's about to come, which is the case uh, this morning. So today, um, Ezekiel chapter 37, and I'm excited about this text because in a lot of ways, the text this morning, it sort of ties together a lot of these themes that we've been seeing throughout our journey through the Old Testament. I'm also excited, not just on the information on the content side, but because this morning's one of those times you'll be able to walk out of here and you'll be able to go, whoa, that is practical for my life. That impacts me on Monday. I think that's important for us. And so I want to pray um, just a simple prayer before we uh, open up God's word today and just ask him to direct us. And, and let me encourage you on this. When you have that time where you just open up God's word on your own, which we'd strongly encourage you to do, say a quick prayer like this one we're about to pray and just say, God, would you speak to me? Because know this, God would love to speak into your life and whisper into you. So let's ask him to do that now. And 
and then we'll dive in. So yeah, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, and Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Lord, thank you that you know us. There's, no, there's not a stranger in this place today. Father, you know us by name. You love us. You long for us to know you well. And Lord, we pray today that you would lead us. Lord, I think um, many in this room today will feel like that text, Lord, you wrote that to me. Lord, I needed to hear that today. Lord, thank you for that. And so, Lord, we just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that that would be true in this place. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. Amen. Well, let me ask you, have you ever been in a place where you were able to offer hope to someone that was feeling completely hopeless? You ever had that opportunity? It's pretty fun, isn't it? Um, ever been in that situation where you were able to speak hope into the life of someone that was feeling just desperate? They were just hopeless. Could be a complete stranger that you got to do that with. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a, a trusted friend. But they were down and out, and you were able to speak some hope into them. Um, or maybe for you, you'd say, you know what, I understand more actually being on the receiving end of someone speaking great hope into my life. Um, there's lots of things, aren't there, that take us to that place where we go, man, I feel hopeless. I'm overwhelmed by just what's going on in life. That happens quite a bit, doesn't it? Um, sometimes marriage can, can do that. Um, I talk to people all the time, their marriages may be in a tough spot and they're wondering, they're, they're feeling a little hopeless. A gal pulled me aside a couple weeks ago right down here and she just said, I feel like I want to walk away. I just feel like our marriage is hopeless. Um, maybe for you, finances comes to mind. You're in a deep hole and it dead up to your eyeballs and you're just going, ah, I feel hopeless in this situation. Um, uh, you, it can be all sorts of things, right? I mean, we go through life and we get knocked around a little bit and you just kind of go, yeah, there are times when I don't feel like I've, I've got a lot of, of hope. Now, if you feel that way, if you felt that way, or if you're going to feel that way, you know how gripping it is. Or if you're walking through some, a, a time of life for someone that's going through that, you know how gripping and how hard that can be. What I love about our text for this morning is this. God is going to remind us that there is no situation that he cannot breathe incredible hope into. There is no such a hopeless situation that God doesn't speak great hope into it. We're going to see in Ezekiel 37 this example that God can overcome any particular level of hopelessness that we could possibly imagine. In today's text, um, we're going to be looking at the nation of Israel, and we're going to see them in one of the bleakest periods in their history. We're going to see them in this, this time where hopelessness was on the rise. I mean, it was kind of like the pits of all pits. I mean, it's horrible for them. And we're going to see that God is going to give this vision to the prophet Ezekiel. And this vision is actually this, it's incredibly, this incredibly graphic picture of the events that are going to happen in the future. It's in, so in the context, though, of this very prophetic message, God is going to give us a picture that will bring you and I incredible hope. It'll help us see that, yes, these might be our circumstances at, at times or the circumstances of the people that we love in our life, but it's going to help us see that even in the midst of some of that, God always, always allows there, for there to be great hope. Now, I don't know about you, but in order to understand sometimes where a person's coming from, I've got to know a little bit of the backstory. Like if you approached me and, and, and we were talking and, and I was to give you any kind of advice or we were to talk back and forth or if I was asking you for advice, um, it would help you not just to have that conversation. It would help you. You'd be more informed if you knew the backstory. 
If you knew not just that moment and that specific conversation, but if you understood a little bit more of the backstory of what had been happening in my life. Now, today, I think it's really important, before we get to 36 and 37, chapters 36 and 37 of Ezekiel, I think it's important for us to understand the backstory. It's important for us to understand, okay, what was the nation of Israel going through? What was happening? And so by the time that we get to Ezekiel 36 and 37, there has been, this is the backstory, there has been this pattern that we see Israel going through. There are so many times where we see them rebelling against the Lord. In a sense, they're giving God the hand and they're saying, not now. They could know God, but they're not embracing him. This pattern is marked by certain words and themes that just come to my mind. Um, think for a second, are, as you think about the different seasons of your life, are there any seasons that you could sum up with just one word? My childhood was X. College, I would say, was this. A young adult, what, could you sum up any seasons of your life with specific words? When I think of the nation of Israel this morning, the words that come to mind as I think about how they've been trekking through and how we've been following them in the scriptures, words like this come to mind. Rebellion, bloodshed, wrath, repentance, grace, hope, and then times of great hopelessness. Words that would, would describe their journey. Now what we know though about the nation of Israel is this, that while they have been rebelling against God, the constant thread on God's end could be described by the word faithful. God continues to pursue them with incredible faithfulness in spite of what they do to him. He continues to seek restoration. God does not say to Israel, even though they're rebellious, hey, I'm writing you off forever. Thank goodness he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that to me. He doesn't do that to you. He continues to pursue them. Now, when you think of a relationship that maybe is hopeless on the front of restoration, like they're not going to be restored, you would probably think of two parties that have disagreed and now they're going in opposite directions, right? That would be a hopeless relationship. No chance for, uh, for restoration. They're going their own ways. Now, here's the deal. Israel was definitely going their own way. They're going this way. But here's the thing. God did not go away from them. God continued to pursue Israel. He continued to pursue his people. You could say he was relentless because he longed for them to be restored. He didn't write them off, but he offered them great hope, even in the midst of their rebellion. And so this is what happened. And this is where the people of Israel went wrong. And this is why they are experiencing, at this point, in their rebellion, they're experiencing the wrath of God. And this is why. So this is from uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 17. Let's start here. He says, son of man. So God is giving this vision. God is giving these words to Ezekiel the prophet to say to the people, son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their own conduct and their actions. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. Here's what's happening. We know this about the people of Israel. They were worshiping pagan gods and these pagan gods were detestable to God. Um, an example of this would be the god of Baal, the pagan god of Baal. 
Um, they believed that, okay, if, if we worship this idol, then that God, the God of agriculture, he'll make it rain, and then our crops will grow. And as you can imagine, if your life was depending on that, you might be prone to want to worship that as well if you had a shot at hope. But here's the thing. You had to self-mutilate yourself if you were going to worship the God of Baal. Completely detestable to God. You can understand why it, why it was defiling to him. And then there was the God of Molech, another pagan god that they worshipped. Now the God of Molech, this is how you worshipped him. You took your children and you sacrificed your children before the God of Molech in the fire. Now oddly enough, the God of Molech is known as the God of protection. The God of protection. It's indescribable, though, the thousands and thousands of lives that were lost. Why? Because they were worshipping this pagan God, that they hoped somehow they could earn his protection. And so what did God say to them in the midst of this? They are defiling him. And so verse 19 says this, I disperse them, this is what he's doing to Israel, I disperse them among the nations, I scatter them, and they were scattered throughout the countries, I judge them according to their conduct and their actions. Now, the prophet Jeremiah is a contemporary of Ezekiel. And when Jeremiah is writing, he's writing, at the exact, he's writing at the same time, he's writing to the same people. This is what Jeremiah says about these people. This just stood out to me this week. Jeremiah says of them, of Israel, he says, yet my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless idols, which made them stumble in their ways in the ancient past. They were going along and they could have known me, but they chose not to. They could have worshipped me, the one true God, but they've forgotten me. They've forgotten who I am. Ezekiel, not quite up to chapter uh, 36 where we'll go today, but if you go back a little bit to chapter 18, he says this about them. He says, therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. And so this is his advice to them. Repent. Turn away from all of your offenses, then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourself of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, people of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. It's as though God is saying, hey, stop, Israel. Don't go the way you continue to go. Stop, repent, and live. But they didn't listen. And the nation continued to go the wrong way. And know this, as they traveled the wrong direction toward the judgment and the wrath of God, there was nothing about their path that God said, oh, my heart is taking joy in the fact you're about to go off the cliff. No. God said, repent, he said, I want you to turn. I want you to come back to me. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God is patient. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants us to know him, to be forgiven by him. Nothing about this brings God joy. Nothing about the rebellion of Israel would have brought him joy. But since they rebelled, God raised up the political the group of that time, the political power, which was the Babylonians. It's as though God gave the Babylonians the sword of judgment. And so the Babylonians overtook the nation of Israel. They took them into captivity. They were exiled, and it was horrible for them, completely horrible. It would have been the lowest low that Israel had ever experienced 
Words can't even describe it. But it was all because of the choices that they brought on themselves. It was because of their sin. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you probably remember the time that you realized how, uh, the, how your sin is so detestable to God. You probably had that moment. I can remember some of mine as an early Christian. I remember one when I was sitting in a dorm room on a college campus, and I, it, just, it just came to me. I thought, wow, I'm finally, I'm understanding some of this. The holiness of God is so great that my sin in his sight, it is nothing short of completely detestable. And then you became blown away at the fact that your offenses to God would not need to be credited to you, but you could stand by faith in Christ completely forgiven. That blows you away. You might think of that moment. If you're a Christian now, you might think of the days when you thought, oh, when, it, when I finally got it, my sin is detestable to a holy God. But he doesn't hold me accountable to that when I'm in Christ. I'm forgiven completely. God says to the people of Israel, I don't want to do this, but he says, so he says, repent. He says, turn, you live. Psalm 103, I love this. It says this, these are great words. It says, the Lord, what is he? He is compassionate and he is gracious. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in love. Know this, when we see the wrath of God on display in the book of Ezekiel and other places, know this, it was not God's plan A. And it wasn't God's plan B. It's way down the line. There is no joy in this for God. God is not seeking the annihilation of his people. God is seeking the restoration of his people. He longs for that. Now you read on in chapter 36 and you see that God has made this covenant with his people. And so God is saying this. He's painting this picture that we'll see come to, to fruition in chapter 37. He's painting this picture that one day God is going to fulfill, ultimately fulfill the promises that have come through Christ to God's people, to Israel. And he's saying in chapter 36, there's going to be day, a day when they're back in the land that I've taken them out of. There'll be a day when I'll increase their number. There'll be a day when they won't be worshiping these pagan idols anymore, but they'll have a new heart and they'll have a new spirit and they'll honor me with their lives. That's what we see in chapter 36, this prophetic message of what will happen in the future. Now we get to chapter 37. And chapter 36, you could think of it like this. It's a lot of details. It's what's happening. When we get to chapter 37, if you learn well by like seeing different pictures, um, you, see, you see someone do something and you feel like you can, well, I can do that now that I saw it be done, right? You learn pictorially. Um, if that's you, you'll love chapter 37 because it's as though everything in 36 now, he paints this graphic picture of what he's talking about. So it says this in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me. Again, Ezekiel speaking to the people. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. Imagine that. And it was full of bones. Now, here's what's happening. God is taking Ezekiel by the hand, and he's leading him through this valley. But it isn't just no valley. This is a valley that is full of bones. This valley is screaming death. This valley is screaming destruction. This valley is screaming hopelessness. Try to picture that. Try to imagine what this must have been like. Verse 2, 
It says, he led me back and forth through this valley, and, and I saw a great many bones, and the floor of the va- on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, the destruction, imagine this, the destruction was so great to this vast amount of people that there was no time for a proper burial. So imagine this army that gets destructed quickly, and then the enemy just moves on. And so there they are, all those bones, all those bodies, and they decay to the point now where they are dry. The bones are dry. That's what Ezekiel is walking through because God wants to paint this graphic picture of restoration. And so he says this then in verse 3. It says, he asked me, God asking Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone no. This, these are my favorite words in this whole passage. Do you remember last week? Brilliant message that Tim gave us on the glory of God. Um, when Ezekiel experienced the glory of God, what did he do? He fell face down on the ground because he was so overwhelmed by the glory and the presence of God. What does Ezekiel say here? God says, hey, could these bones live? And by this point, Ezekiel's been blown away by who God is. And he says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And what I love about this right here is that Ezekiel is saying, Lord, there's not a more hopeless situation that I could walk through. There's not a stronger imagery, Lord, that you could paint. And so, God, in the midst of that, what I'm saying to you, Lord, is you alone know. Lord, you are sovereign. Lord, this hopeless situation, you know it. Think of your own situation. Does it feel hopeless? Ezekiel is saying, mine sure does. And then he's pointing, though, to God. He says, God, you alone know. You alone know what's going on here. And then he continues on. Verse 4. It says, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Does this remind you of anything? You remember, if you're a Christian, if you know a little bit about the Bible, you might remember this. Genesis chapter 2. What happened? God, what does he do? What does he do to bring life to Adam? He breathes into Adam. And so what God is saying here is this, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. It's this idea, nobody else is going to bring life into this. Nobody else except for God alone. Only God can do something like that. Verse 6. He says, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and and I'll cover your skin and and I will put breath in you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. He's saying to Israel, Israel, I'm not finished with you yet. Israel, there's going to be a day when I'm going to restore you. There's going to be a day when you'll be forgiven. There's going to be a day when you won't worship these pagan idols any longer. I'm not finished with you yet. Verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise. Imagine this. Just try to picture this. A rattling sound, and the the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them, and the skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Kind of freaky, right? A very good Father's Day passage, I think, right? Imagine that. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, say to these bones, say to these tendons now, come, breathe from the four winds, from the corners of the earth, and breathe in to these slain. 
that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. And they came to life, and they stood on their feet, a vast army of them. Imagine what this must have been like. Don't miss this picture. This is huge. God's most prized possession, people, you. In this passage, they've come to life, this army, this vast army, and they're now standing up. They're standing. They're alive. It's the picture of the unforgivable being forgiven. It's the picture of the once lost being found. It's the picture of the most hopeless situation, a valley of dry bones screaming, it's finished. No life here. It's saying there's life. There's hope. You and I read a passage like this and we go, okay, I might be going through X, Y, and Z, but God, you are bigger than that. Ezekiel said, Lord, only you know. Lord, only you could breathe life into this situation. Think about that. Death to life. Modern medicine is amazing, isn't it? Aren't we thankful for it? I mean, it's, it's incredible what modern medicine can do. But think about this. Modern medicine cannot raise the dead to life. Only God can do that. Ezekiel is proclaiming that. Now, when we get to verse 11, it's as though we now get this explanation. Okay, here's what's happening. Here's what, this, you just saw this picture. Here's what this picture means now. Verse 11. It says, then he said to me, son of man, Ezekiel, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Now, these are powerful verses. Israel's saying, we don't have any hope. Israel's saying, we've gone too far. You ever had that feeling where you created such a mess in your life and you looked around and you knew you were the cause of that mess? You ever done that? And you thought, I brought this on myself. I, I did this. And you thought, I've gone too far. I don't have any hope. That's exactly where Israel is. They, they, they thought, oh, we have no hope. There's no hope at all. This picture of dry bones, there's nothing worse than it. And then it says this, next verse. It says, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and I will bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. I'm going to restore you. There is hope. The most hopeless situation. God's saying, I'm going to raise you up. There is going to be hope in the midst of this. Verse 13. It says, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord, and when I open your graves and I bring, up, bring you up from them, and I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. Now, that word's powerful because, again, the picture is a valley of dry bones, and I will settle you in your own land. Again, this prophetic message, and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. The Lord is wanting them to know this will not be because of you. This won't be because of anything that you've done. One day when I restore you, Israel, it will be about me. It will be because of my glory. And when you see that I've brought you back a dead people spiritually, you will know that I am the Lord your God, and you will worship me in that place. Now, I love what this means for you and I. God says to Ezekiel, I'm going to bring something dead, and I'm going to bring it to life. We get to the New Testament. We get to the Apostle Paul. Paul uses very similar language. Look at this with me, chapter, uh, verse 2 of chapter 2 of Ephesians. Paul writes, as for you, and that would be us, 
as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Meaning this, you were spiritually dry bones. One day, if you don't know Christ, there was a time when you were, you were dead. You, it was like you walked through your own valley of dry bones. And in that place, maybe you thought, you know what? Wow, I'm seeing the ramifications of my sin. Sin that is offensive to a holy God. And you said, wow, I'm, I'm dead in my sin. But then Apostle Paul goes on, verse 4, he says this, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us what? Made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Meaning this, you can't do it. When Israel's restored, the sovereign Lord is declaring, I did this. We declare it is by grace that we've been saved. Not us, God. And God raised us up with Christ. Again, it's this picture that when you're dead in your sins and you accept Christ, God brings life into you. He gives you a new heart and a new spirit. You become alive. God raises you up. When we baptize people, what we're symbolizing is this, Romans 6, you were buried with Christ in his death, we put a person under the water, we bring him up, we say you were raised to new life in Christ. What is it symbol? Baptism is this identification. I am identifying with Christ in his death, but then in the fact that he proved that he was God through his resurrection, and God has taken me from being dead to my sins to being alive in Christ. We have two baptisms that we're going to do here this morning, Bailey and Adam, and um, their stories are stories of being dead to sin. There was a time when they were dead in their transgressions. You and I on the spiritual front are much like Israel. We're dead. Apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins. But their stories are ones where they would say, but then God got a hold of me, and God rescued me. And God offered me a grace that I didn't deserve, but it's one that's changed my life. And so now, I'm like this vast army, this picture that we see in, in chapter 37, where I've been raised up, I've been given new life. And so I want to close with this, two things. I think there are two, at least two takeaways. I'm just going to mention, there are many, but I'll just mention two. The first one is this. What do we do with this text? The first is this. I think we take sin very seriously, very seriously. I think we walk through the valley and we remember, or maybe for the first time we realize, my sin is like walking through a valley of dry bones. I look around and I see the implications of death. I see the implications of uncalculated words. I see the implications of unfaithfulness. I see the implications of putting other things before God, idolatry our own kind. Sin is serious. It's a big deal. And when we walk through the valley of dry bones, again, that's not a bad thing to do. That puts you in a right place. What did God say? Again, uh, let me take you back to chapter 18. He said this, therefore, you Israelites, I will judge each of you according to your own ways, declares the sovereign Lord. And this is his advice to them and to us. Repent. Turn away from your offenses. Then sin will not be your downfall. Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. God is saying, hey, don't stay in that place. Don't stay in the valley of dry bones. I don't want you there. 
God's saying, I wish that none would perish, that none would live apart from me. But what do you need to do? He's saying you trust in Christ and you get a new spirit. You get a new heart. Because of his love for us, God sent his son. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of his great love for us. I've been spiritually restored because of why? Because of God's great grace. God says, repent. God says, turn to me. Seven of the most powerful words that I think a person can say. These are the kind of words that will heal a marriage. These are the kind of words that will heal a relationship. These are the kind of words that will bring you from being away from God to being close to God, to experiencing the joys and the pleasures of being a child of God. Here they are, seven of, I think, the most important words that you could ever say, often. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? You realize what those words do? You say those words to God with a heart that is soft to him and open to him and a heart that is conscious of how you sinned against the God of the universe that is holy. And I tell you what, God says to you, okay, you trust in me, you trust in my son. I loved you enough. I sent him. So why? So that you would not have to pay the account for your sin. I'm sorry. Would you please forgive me? And when you do that, you enter into what it means to be a son and a daughter of Christ. It's as though you've been laying in a valley of dry bones and God puts you together. He gives you a new spirit and a new heart. And when we experience that, I think this is the second takeaway this morning, we let it grip us. The Apostle Paul, as he was talking to Timothy, kind of his underling who he was mentoring in ministry, he said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And then he said very powerful words. He said, because the gospel is the power of God, meaning this, Timothy, I'm blown away at the power of God. God can take dead bones and bring them to life. He can give them a new heart and a new spirit. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Church, if the gospel has gripped you, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. I'm going to pray for us now. And, um, and I just want to encourage you this morning as we're about to watch these baptisms. If you don't know Christ, um, would you have your moment today? I challenge you on this. If God's touching you and saying, you know what, spiritually, I'm dry bones. That's, that's where I'm at. I want to ask you this morning, would you surrender to God because God longs to give you a new heart and a new life in, in his son, Jesus Christ? And so, yeah, let me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text. I thank you for this picture, Lord, that we get that we can be restored. Lord, that you bring hope to what we think sometimes could be the most hopeless situations possible. Father, help us this morning to be the kind of people that we respond to your voice. Father, even as we watch these videos, I pray for the person that doesn't know you. As we hear these stories, I pray that they would cry out and they would say, my story doesn't need to be about my sin any longer. My story can be about the one who saves me. Lord, we love you. Help us be gripped by who you are. We pray this in Christ's name.